Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we will be continuing our Christmas devotionals, going through David Mathis's Christmas devotional book, The Christmas We Didn't Expect. If you haven't already, you can join us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Good morning. Hi there, and welcome. It's the 1st of December, and it's our first Advent reading. Uh, that we're going to do this morning. And we're basing our uh, Advent uh, studies this uh, December on a new book called The Christmas We Didn't Expect by David Mattis. If you've got it, then hopefully you'll see that the first chapter uh, on day one uh, covers Luke chapter one, starting in verse 39. And that's what I'm going to look at this morning, the Magnificat, Mary's song and the build-up to that. If you haven't got the book, it's not a problem. Hopefully, it'll make sense to you anyway as we look at this wonderful passage of Scripture at the beginning of Advent. I think it's worth pointing out, as David Matisse does in his book, that um, you know we're free from the requirements to observe high days and holy days. As Colossians teaches us, we're free from man-made regulations. We're free from... Uh, the law in that sense. Uh, We're free from having to observe rules in order to gain God's grace because we've got God's grace already. We don't have to do anything else to earn his favor. Nevertheless, it can still be profitable, surely for us, to at this time slow down, which is what Advent is about, to dig in to the scriptures in a fresh way, to look up and learn fresh things about the most important and momentous event that took place in the history of of mankind, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world. Now, people sometimes talk about the spirit of Christmas and how do you get the spirit of Christmas. Yesterday, I bought a poinsettia and it suddenly feels like there's the first sign of Christmas in our house. Maybe, you know, you play your first Christmas song at home, but how do we get the Christmas spirit? And of course, we know that the Christmas spirit really is a um, sentimental and kind of just emotional experience that people try to conjure up. But as we look at the three characters in our passage this morning, at Elizabeth, at the unborn baby John the Baptist, and at Mary, what we find is that they get the true Christmas spirit because God meets with them. God reveals himself to them. God teaches them new things. God fills them with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they are filled with a joy which comes out at this time. And so we can ask God to give us that same Christmas spirit that comes from his spirit, that we might have our eyes open, that we might understand, that we might be filled with his joy. Mary says in this psalm, uh, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, of course, God doesn't need to be magnified because he's already great, but there's a sense in which for Mary, her heart is kind of enlarged by the understanding that she gets. And we can pray that God would enlarge our hearts, increase our faith, open our eyes and fill us with his 
joy. Now, Mary is a teenager, of course, and teenagers, quite understandably, are looking for a sense of identity. Who am I? What is my identity? A sense of purpose. And Mary finds identity and purpose and has big questions answered at this time. Elizabeth, on the other hand, is a middle-aged woman past the age of childbearing in that uh, age that she was in and perhaps felt that life had passed her by. And nevertheless, God kindles in her a new faith and a new excitement and anticipation about what God is still going to do in her life. And so whatever your age, whether you're young or old, whether a teenager, middle-aged or retired, whatever your background, we can pray that God would kindle in us a fresh expectation of what he can do. He can do great things in us. He can do the impossible in our time. So we find this uh, Magnificat, the word Magnificat comes from the Latin for the first few words of this, uh, this, this uh, canticle that Mary uh, utters, uh, my soul magnifies, and that's where we get Magnificat from. Now, let's just, before we look at the Magnificat, take note of the build-up to this great song. Because in verse 39, we read that at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So what happened was this. Mary has just found out that she is going to have a child, that she's going to have a savior, Jesus. And she is told by the angel that Elizabeth, her cousin, is also pregnant. And that's kind of a sign to her that God can do the impossible because Elizabeth is past childbearing age. Elizabeth desperately wanted a child but couldn't have one. And God was going to do a miracle in her life by giving her a child. Mary, on the other hand, doesn't particularly want a child. And yet God is going to do the impossible in her life by giving her a child. And so the two women have got a lot in common. And Mary wants to go and be with her cousin Elizabeth to process, to talk through, to perhaps reflect, to swap notes with her cousin. And so she goes on a three to four day journey uh, to Elizabeth's house. Mary travels from Nazareth, which is up in the north in the Galilee region. She travels south to, to south of Jerusalem, up into the hill country of Judea, to an obscure village somewhere in the hill country of Judea. Kate and I went to the hill country of Judea. It's a beautiful, haunting landscape. And there in those hills was Elizabeth's house with Zachariah, her husband, Remember that Zechariah has been struck dumb and is in fact also, it seems, deaf, we read from chapter 1, verse 62. So Zechariah is in the house, but guess what? The women have the floor. Zechariah says nothing and he can hear nothing. They can say whatever they want. They can keep talking till the cows come home. They can share together the excitement and the anticipation of this miracle that God is doing in each of their lives. And what does it mean? And so um, Mary arrives at the house 
Uh, at this point, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, so she's just going into her third trimester. And Mary is just at the beginning of her pregnancy, so she is in the first three months of her pregnancy. And so for three months, they spend time together uh, and reflecting on what God is doing. And this is a time for us, perhaps, to stop and to reflect and think about what God is doing and what he can do for us and in our world as well. And so she arrives at the house and it tells us in verse 40 that as soon as she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting and the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. And so it goes on. And so what happens is this, Elizabeth Here's Mary's greeting. Now remember that Elizabeth has not received a WhatsApp message for Mary to say, by the way, I've had a visit from an angel. I'm going to have the savior of the world and I'm on my way to your house. Elizabeth doesn't know what's happened in Mary's life. She has no idea. But as soon as Mary greets her as she enters, Elizabeth is suddenly kind of given a revelation. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she has this amazing revelation and she proclaims in a loud voice that Mary has been blessed and the Holy Spirit reveals to Elizabeth uh, something significant that the Lord is in the womb of Mary. And so we see Elizabeth experiencing this revelation. You notice that there is no jealousy for Elizabeth. Sometimes parents can be quite competitive with their children, can't they? And who's the best? But what we find here is that Elizabeth is rejoicing that Mary's son will be even greater than her own son and do greater things. And there is a rejoicing in that and no hints of jealousy whatsoever. But the second character, of course, in this, and we can often overlook, is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in the womb, and yet it tells us that as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, John the Baptist, the baby, leapt in her womb. Uh, it's kind of did a somersault in, her, in his mother's womb. We see here that there is a person inside of Elizabeth, with, with his own spirit, with his own personage, uh, with his own DNA, as we now know as well. He's not part of the woman's body. He is his own person in his own right, who has his own experience, in, in miraculously at this point, of the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 1 and verse 15, we're told that, uh, the, that the, the baby... Um, uh, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so it seems that right now this is when he is filled with the Holy Spirit as, as, as Mary enters the house with Jesus. And so we see this, don't we? We see that this person is a valued person. Elizabeth is carrying somebody else within her. It's not just her own body. And there's obviously implications for that. But then finally, we have this other character, Mary. And 
we read this wonderful poem that she bursts out with, this song which she sings or bursts out with, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And so it goes on. Now, there are those who have said that Mary could not possibly have written this song. It's far too rich in theology. It's far too uh, laced and saturated with Old Testament references. In fact, it is clearly uh, uh, reflecting on 1 Samuel chapter 2, where Hannah is told that she is going to have a child. Hannah, do you remember, who was tormented by her um, rival wife, uh, the, the, the other woman who was married to her husband, Elkanah, and the other woman, Peninnah, used to taunt Hannah every year and say, you know, I've, I'm having children and you're not, and it's a disgrace for you that you're not having any children. And then God answers Hannah's prayer and she's going to have a child and she bursts out in song and she says, my, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she, she, she celebrates how God has reversed her fortunes and lifted up her humility uh, and, and exalted her. And so we find that really this Magnificat is a kind of uh, reflection on Hannah's song, but it also has 12 other, at least, references from the Old Testament, many of them from the Psalms, uh, uh, referred to in this, in this thing. Now, people say Mary couldn't possibly have written this because it is just too theological, too advanced, too beautifully written for a young teenage peasant girl to just come up with on the spot. But I would say three things to that. The first is Mary clearly knew her scriptures. She loved God's word. She, she, it was all in there. You know, if you are full of good stuff, then when things happen, good stuff will come out of you because it's in you already. If you're full of rubbish and not full of the truth, then at best, when things happen, you'll have nothing to say. And at worst, you'll only have rubbish to say. But we find for Mary that she is full of truth. So when the occasion comes, she's ready to say this thing. And we notice also she's just had three or four days journey traveling and she's surely during this time been singing and reflecting and thinking about the Psalms, thinking about the, the song of Hannah. She's, she's probably composed something in her heart as she's reflected on what God is doing in her life. And so she's ready with this Magnificat. And thirdly, she's also filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has overshadowed her already. And so she is able to produce this beautiful piece of work because God inspires her to do so. And of course, it's full of truth. I would encourage you uh, over these couple of days to read this, maybe memorize the Magnificat. Uh, my soul rejoices in God, my Saviour. Mary needed a saviour. Even Mary was not sinless. Uh, as Thomas Aquinas pointed out, she needed a saviour as well. And she says, I rejoice in God, my saviour. And she speaks about how he is both mighty 
in verse 49, he has done great things and merciful. Mercy comes up again and again. He is mighty and he is merciful. And we see this theme of reversal, how God lifts up the humble, how he brings down those who are proud in heart, how he fills the hungry with good things, but sends the those who are full away empty. There's this reversal of fortunes as the favour of God comes upon those who humble themselves and submit themselves to his word. So there's so much in this that I'd encourage you to reflect on during this Advent time. But let's pray right now as we come to a close. Lord, we thank you that at this time you do invite us to slow down and to dig in to your word. And we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts, that you would enlarge our hearts, that you would increase our faith, that you would enable us to see that you can do the impossible, that you are the mighty one who has done great things for us and will do great things. And Lord, we pray that you would give us revelation by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we too would sing our songs and that we too would rejoice in what you have done and that we would be filled with your joy at this Christmas time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.